Clear Channel's iHeartRadio. Welcome to the Jane Wilkins Michael Show. Better than before. An hour of beauty, health, fitness, and lifestyle advice from renowned columnist and author Jane Wilkins Michael and her guest, top experts in their fields. Join Jane's campaign to become better than before. Now, here she is, Jane Wilkins Michael. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Jane Wilkins Michael Show, Better Than Before on iHeartRadio Talk. I'm Jane. I'm coming to you live from New York City. I want to thank you so much for being with us. Back with me today is my producer, my Lori. How are you, Lori? I'm good, Jane. Thanks. Oh, terrific. Well, Lori, today, in honor of Alzheimer Brain and Awareness Month, this show is all about Alzheimer's, the disease that eventually took my mother's life and affects millions and millions of others worldwide. Toward the end, my mother was not was oblivious to it, but as her caregiver, I was not. At the moment, there is no proven way to prevent Alzheimer's or even dementia, nor does there seem to be a cure for it on the horizon. What are the warnings, symptoms, and signs? As we get older, we all forget stuff. We all do things that are perhaps unaccountable. Just the other day, instead of a Metro card, in the zippered pocket of my bag, I found, Lori, wait till you hear this, a dishwasher pad, a pod, <laughs> the kind that, that was in little different compartments. I'm going, how the heck did this get there? I had no recollection of how it did get there to begin with. Well, should I worry? After all, none of us is immune from this debilitating and deadly disease. Therefore, anything I can do to support the good work of the Alzheimer Association, I will do. After the break, I'll be speaking with Monica Marino. She's a senior director of care and support at the Alzheimer Association. And we'll also go over a very interesting survey they conducted uh, on the role of caregivers for someone who has Alzheimer's or even dementia. And again, having been one myself, I can tell you firsthand how very difficult that role is. Well, while there might not be a cure per se at the very moment, a growing evidence indicates that people may be able to reduce their risk of cognitive decline by adopting key lifestyle habits, such as eating a healthier diet. And my first guest is uniquely qualified to tell us how to do it. He is celebrated chef Madison Cowan. And let me tell you a little bit about Chef Cowan before we bring him on. He is a four-star chef, producer, and motivational speaker. In his role as chef, he has created, he has catered to actors Halle Berry, Scarlett Johnson, Anthony Anderson, rapper and poet Moss Death fashion icon Donna Karen and former President Bill Clinton, to name a few. Among his many other accomplishments, he competed in the Food Network's hit show Chopped and won three consecutive episodes to become the first ever grand champion. Currently, he is featured on multiple series such as Beat Bobby Flay, Guilty Pleasures, and Iron Chef Eats. Chef Cowan has recently teamed up with the Alzheimer's Association to create special recipes to help everyone achieve better brain health. Welcome to the show, Chef. Thank you so much for being with us. Well, uh, thanks, Jane, for having me. Um, it's an absolute pleasure. Although I don't know how to uh, follow all that, you know, that was amazing. Well, I don't know how to follow <laughs> what you do in the kitchen. You know, speaking of mothers, I noticed in your bio that you credit credit your mother's influence as a springboard to your culinary experience, and she made certain you knew your way around the kitchen and would never depend on anyone for a meal. Alas, my mother could not boil an egg, basically, so I always had to depend on others, <laughs> and I still do to this very day. Go figure. <laughs> so. 
<laughs> where they say that we take off our parents in certain ways, you know what I mean? <laughs> it yeah. just so happens that, you know what, my wife was that way a bit, but you know what, she's a proper cook now, so that's all that matters. Well, because she has you to teach her. My husband's a lawyer. What does he? What does he know? But actually, sometimes, you know, sometimes I remember, and and I hope he doesn't take offense to that. But after I just I had my, my 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 last baby, he decided to make something called sauce Elise, which was a tomato sauce uh, in her honor. The day I got home from the hospital, and he boiled this uh, fresh t- tomato sauce, and I looked, and it was there were speckles all over the ceiling. So <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I think that it kind of boiled over. <laughs> but anyway. Oh, my God. Well, he can't say that she's not driven. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, he, he is yeah. driven, yes. Indeed, indeed. Okay. Oh, he. I think that you're he, talking he. Okay, oh, No, she was just born, so he was doing it okay. for her. Right? All right. All right. Nice one. So let's talk about eating healthy, Chef. You know, we're finding more and more evidence that points to dietary factors being the determinants of a multitude of diseases. Um are you more conscious of the ingredients you're using today than perhaps years ago when we didn't make the connection that your health is what you put in your mouth, basically? Um, I Personally, I, I believe that's where it all started, you see. Um, years ago, you know, there was um, dementia or senility, as we called years ago. It ran rampant through people's, you know, uh, lineage and that sort of thing. And it was a, it was a sort of humor. Do you know what I mean? It's like everybody had an uncle that cursed somebody out on a holiday or uh, a granddad who threatened to burn the Christmas tree in the fireplace or somebody's nan who like threatened to shoot you. You know what I mean? It was that sort of, it was a sort of humor. But nowadays, as, as time has gone on and progressed, you know, and now we have Alzheimer's and other cognitive diseases, do you know what I mean? It's no longer a laughing matter, you see. And a lot of it, I, 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 I tend to believe that a lot has started to do with or had to do with the way people eat. Do you know what I mean? Their lack of nutrition, that sort of thing, or, you know, fat-laden diets and that sort of thing. So um, that definitely has um, something to do with it. Well, they also uh, say that uh, research is saying that uh, you can increase your chances of maintaining a healthy brain well into your old age if you add certain foods to your daily regimen. And that same research suggested that combining good nutrition with mental, social, and physical activities may have a greater benefit in maintaining or improving brain health than the, any uh, single activity. I mean, absolutely. You know, you'll definitely, definitely live better. Do you know what I mean? That, uh, that term brain food, do you know, there's a lot of items that are like associated with that. Um, one to, that springs to mind immediately is fish. It's a proper brain food, um, all sorts of fish. Actually, the fattier the fish, the better, because of the natural uh, amino acids that are present in fish, that sort of thing. Um, healthy fats as well. Um, it's one of my favorite things to eat. Do you know what I mean? I, I, I sort of, I don't subscribe to the word diet. I just believe in eating well. Because for right. a lot of Lifestyle. people, diet means you know restrictions, you know mm-hmm. that sort of thing, and and nobody wants to feel restricted. So, um, speaking for myself and my family, you know, we we eat well, you know, and that uh, encompasses things like you know, fruit, veg, nuts, herbs, seeds, that sort of thing, you know. And being a a, a pro cook, you know, you can really get creative with those sorts of things. So it's not very limiting at all. It's also about the Mediterranean diet, I would think. That seems to be what many people are um, eating these days for better health, yeah. which includes all the, the the foods that you were just mentioning, including uh, 
and nuts and grains and blueberries and of course healthy oils like olive oil and you limit red meat and and avocados and beans Mm -hmm. oh yeah you know, I mean, you, you can make you can make a nice party with those sorts of foods and things like that. You know, the Mediterranean diet and also the Ash diet. I think that believe that 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 stands for, you know, um, what does the Dash diet stand for? Dietary approaches to stop hypertension. Right. That sort of thing. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? But you know, now with the weather, you know, you know, turning lovely, everybody's getting out and they're grilling, you know, fish and vegetables and things like that. And they're knocking them all sorts of creative and beautiful salads, you know, that are like layered with, you know, luscious velvety olive oil, that sort of things. And when you speak of the Mediterranean, obviously you're thinking of Southern France, you're thinking of Italy, you're thinking of Spain, that sort of thing. So, you know, food items that are pretty much indicative of those regions of the world. And more emphasis on plant-based foods and limiting the animal and high saturated fat, which is... Oh, yeah. Big mainstay, unfortunately, of the typical American diet. And that's why the Americans have coronary disease like crazy. (laughs) I'm sure a lot of it is attributed to the diet. And now they're saying there's a connection between brain health as well, which is a very important connection. Now, uh, speaking of uh, vegetables, Chef, you also won the Iron Chef Americas. I was reading about that. Epic Battle Kale. Now, I have to tell you, my husband, uh, the leafy green hating lawyer, would rather starve than eat anything that tastes remotely like escarole. And one time he went so far as to chastise me for volunteering to bring rugula to a housewarming. And he said, how could you agree to bring those bitter little greens? And I had to remind him that I was bringing rugula, the little tea cakes, uh, cakes not arugula, the mm. dreaded bitter green. Right, so, right, right. But, of course, greens are are so important, uh, and I was thinking about Chopped and that show on Food Network, which I adore, by the way. Um, and if you could take the odd ingredients that they give you on the show Chopped, for what you were the, the, the champion, and they give you these weird things like guava and gummy bears and pickled eel, right? Something that is so out of the ordinary, and you can make a masterful meal out of them. I am sure you found a way to make kale tastes so appetizing that even the the kale hating lawyer would would eat it are there secrets <laughs> that, that, that that make the un, unappealing to some people appealing yes just all get brownie points with your husband yeah no um my uh, mom she always said you know do the best of what you have you know if, if all you have is salt flour and water then that's all you need do you know what i mean that sort of thing so that mentality Coupled with the opportunity, do you know what I mean? And also a bit of my own history, you know, coming up through my life, I always felt that there was no need for me to talk about the things that I've done in my life because I think it showed. Do you know what I mean? If you're a person of substance, and then it shows. And a lot of that substance is born from failure and that sort of thing, yeah? So um, I was delighted when 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 I learned that it was kale. Obviously, there were three potential and possible ingredients, cherries, asparagus, and kale. Um, I only had 10 days to prepare for this as I was, um, I was a fill-in for somebody, right? Somebody had dropped out. So I had um, been a little savvy. I'd gone on to Wikipedia, and I had gone through the history of the show to find out, okay, what have been the ingredients of the past? What have they done and what have they not done? So they had done everything with the exception of kale. 
Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Cherries were there, asparagus were there. So I just, you know, the process of elimination sort of thing, right? So I uh, made a, uh, created a menu that encompassed all three, but just in case, you know, you know, somebody had one up me, you know what I mean? I wouldn't be caught off guard, you know what I mean? So uh, lo and behold, it was kale. Um, and I was delighted. Um, I believe I said uh, on the air, they kept it in. I said, you know, you can't give a black man greens and, and expect him <laughs> not to know what to do with it. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's impossible. Do you, do you know what I mean? That's like giving Scott Conant pasta and saying, you know what, you know, give it your best shot. So, or Bobby, you know, Flay, it's, it's, or Bobby it's, Flay barbecue. What can I say? Yeah, yeah. right. Um, but I'm like, come on, you depend on that. Come on. I, I find that show uh, fascinating. I mean, they, you have an hour, obviously, of, of airtime that that is shows, but I would assume it takes more than an hour to create the the dishes. They they seem that you could do this whole thing in an hour. Do, I mean, is that real time or not to give away secrets? But is that um, basically do you create everything in that hour, or is it all sort of done before <laughs> you sort of bring it out? Yeah, right. You know, the magic of TV, right? <laughs> no, the, you know, I I don't think it's um it's a well guarded secret anymore. I think. It's, it's, it's absolutely an hour. Do you know what I mean? Oh. Down to the second. Do you know what I mean? It's like you don't know where you have a, a brief run through of where everything is and how the appliances work. And that's it. You know, they call it Iron Chef for a reason because that's the Iron Chef's house. And who knows their home better than the occupant? Do you know what I mean? So um, it's not catered to your advantage, right? So you go in. Um, saying I know how to cook and um, I'm going to have to trust my people. Do you know what I mean? And when mm-hmm. the clock starts, you know, those judges, the producers, the host, none of that means anything. You know, you're there to do a job. So, you know, with given opportunity, right, you just make sure that, I mean, if you're wise, to, be, to always and constantly be prepared when an opportunity arises. Do you know what I mean? You know, I don't have to get ready because I am that sort of thing. So it was just lucky. I had two very, very good, you know, people to assist me. One was um, uh, Amanda Freitag, who's a, a recurring judge on the show, Chopped, mm-hmm. and um, Lance Nitahara, a fantastic young culinary genius. Uh, he was my first and chief competitor in my very first episode of Chopped. So um, I don't believe in um, slagging people off. I don't believe, I believe everyone is, uh, you know, is an ally until they prove themselves, you know, different. So Lance and I, we got on from the beginning and it's a um, relationship that um, is, um, that's even, you know, it's a current relationship now. So yeah, I, I was just lucky, I guess, you know what I mean? And just, like I said, if you can cook, you, you can cook in a shoebox with a, a pin light and a, and a folding knife, do you know what I mean? So yeah, well, I'm always so prepared. I'm always prepared. I'm prepared <laughs> with the phone number of the nearest takeout place. <laughs> always, I on my, was coming, right? always on my cell phone. <laughs> just, yeah, just, right. just in case no one likes tuna sandwiches for dinner. Yeah, right, right. Or, or, or the mobile numbers of your dearest friends. You know what I mean? At what time they actually go off work, right? You're, you're, no, no, no. <laughs> you're coming to my house next. So I had a friend who got married and she was making a dinner for her in-laws-to-be. And and she, of course, or bought it in some very upscale food place and presented everyone was ooh and eyeing it. But, you know, the secret of that is to actually throw out the containers, not like leave them in the kitchen. <laughs> so mm, it's sort of, right. she lost the creativity when they said, oh, you didn't make that after all, did you? So yeah. anyway. Um, so yeah, Chef- well, you know, as far as, I'm sorry, go on, please. No, no, continue with what you were saying. 
Well, you know, in, in terms of creativity, you know, we were talking about, you know, diets and that sort of thing and kale, you know, the sky's the limit. Do you know what I mean? I think you're limited to your own creativity. Do you know what I mean? So um, it's a question of do you want to live and do you want to live well? That sort of thing. You know what I mean? Um, this, the, I, I don't necessarily subscribe to the word diet, as I said. I don't um, subscribe to the word guilty either. Do you know, I'm always asked, what's your guilty pleasure? Um, I always say I don't have issues of guilt. Do you know what I mean? I just believe in living and living as best as I can do. And that's all that any of us can do, you see. Um, you know, every once in a while, like on the weekends, I'll splurge and that sort of thing. But during the week, you know, it's, 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 I don't think about it or I don't, you know, really, it's not a, a, something that causes me unrest. I just eat well as best as I can. But unfortunately, there's lots of people um, who are not in a position to, to eat as well. You know, they don't have access to healthier foods and that sort of thing and on limited incomes. And a lot, in a lot of those cases and situations, that's where that disease, that heinous diabolical disease runs rampant. That is very true. But, um, you know, that's why all the fast food restaurants, because it's, it's cheap, it's easy, and it's also not good for you. But, you know, people can eat, go to one of those, and they can have a, a whole meal for $5. So, right. And buying right. fresh food. No, you pass food. any McDonald's. Right. Any McDonald's. Yeah. You see elders, our elders sitting there having their breakfast, lunch, and their supper. Do you know what I mean? And it's, yeah. it's, 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 it's heartbreaking. But I mean, that's. And then and, they and wonder really, why everyone is so obese. In fact, a woman sued McDonald's for making her obese. And it's like yeah. you didn't know that if you eat that food three times a day. I mean, with everything that's out there, people really should know. It's a choice now. And yeah. you certainly can get a can of beans and get some broccoli in it. You know, everything doesn't have to be from Whole Foods. But uh, you can certainly make it healthy. Like in Europe, the the the, the simplest uh, peasants, for ba- for lack of a better word, eat well because you know they just eat very simple, very plain food. Everything doesn't have to be. Um, it could, as I say, it could just be simple and and not not uh, complicated. But it takes some work, and some people are lazy. That's basically what it is. It's much easier to yeah. Yeah, I mean, listen, if we're going to, like, you know, tell it like it is, right, you know, but I think a lot of the, the blame lays at the foot of these policymakers. Um, I, I just returned from uh, Seattle, where I was speaking on behalf of uh, Alzheimer's Association uh, with um, uh, University of Washington, right, and um, I, I get a lot of the same queries from audience members and things like that. Um, I think that when you turn on the telly to a lot of these sporting, you know, sporting events, you know, football, American football, that sort of thing. Yeah. And you see these pink towels and cleats and parts of the uniform. I think that, you know, we, we need to see purple towels and cleats and socks and, and gloves and, and, and make them a part of the uh, uniform and not just for a month out of the year. That right. sort of thing. Alzheimer's actually affects far more people than than let's say diabetes cancer includes for breast cancer that sort of thing 
So combined, um, chef, combined, and and it's said, uh, it's been said that in twenty five years there'll be two kinds of people in the world: those with Alzheimer's disease and those caring for someone with Alzheimer's disease. And it is the sixth leading cause of death in the U.S. and the only such disease actually on the rise. Those are those are facts, chilling and most expensive. Right, what is it like eighteen in, in excess of eighteen million so, per hour? So expensive, so expensive. Uh, and the only yes. reason why they were, I'm sorry, go on. No, I'm saying it's it's uh, and and. Uh, there doesn't seem to be an end in sight. So we, we look to people like you, of course, and to the Alzheimer Association to at least make us aware of a of how we can help and, and certainly what we should do. And again, June is uh, honoring Alzheimer Brain and Awareness Month. And as you just said, it should be all year round. There is no such thing yeah. as one month. It should be all year round. So tell me, how did you get involved with the Alzheimer Association? Well, um, my dad uh, obviously um, was felled by um, Alzheimer's. He was a massive, a very massive physical man. Um, I, I mentioned previously um, last week, I said that I always thought that he could pick the house that we lived in, that his family in Detroit lived in, that my family in, in, in London lived in, and put them both on his back and carry them down the road. Do you know what I mean? That was he was um, just a massive, powerful man. Do you know he had hands like shovels? And uh, the thing about it is, is that um, I really didn't know him well. I didn't really have the type of relationship they want want with their dad. That sort of thing. He was one of those strict disciplinarians. Do you know what I mean? He looked down mm-hmm. on things like showing affection. You know that was never that that was taboo if you were a man. You know what I mean? If you were a boy or a male. You know that mm-hmm. sort of thing. So as as I grew older, I, I grew further and further, you know, uh, away from him because I had different thoughts and beliefs and that sort of thing. So um, when he contracted Alzheimer's, I just felt that I was going to be robbed of any type of, you know, um, um, possibility of getting to know who he was. And it wasn't until um, I began to, you know, search my own soul and find out the person and ultimately the man that I would become. So I start to realize, you know, and understand his shortcomings and that sort of thing, right? So um, when the opportunity for, you know, US TV came around, um, as I said, you know, you, you have to meet that opportunity with readiness. Um, upon being successful, I was asked, what do I want to do next? That sort of thing. What sort of show do I want to do? What sort of club do I want to hit? And have people notice me and ask me for an autograph and that sort of thing. And I, I said, you know what I like to do? I like to um, align myself with some sort of charity. And it didn't take me very long to figure out what particular charity that I would align myself with. Um, and soon after, my, my wife's dad in Denmark contracted and passed on due to complications of Alzheimer's. And currently, my little girl's uh, nan in Japan is currently living with um, Alzheimer's. So you would, it would lead one to believe that it sort of picked me as opposed to my aligning myself with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just said, you know, there's no better way for me to use this newfound exposure to lend a, a face or a voice or a personality to. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I, I wish I didn't have to. Do you know what I mean? There's a, there's a part of me that feels like if, 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 if I were to get it, I were to contract it and, 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 and know that nobody else would ever have this, not my family, not your family, not anyone. I, I, a part of me would gladly take it on. 
you know what I mean? And I'm not just saying that just to, do you know what I mean? Because I wouldn't wish this on my worst enemy. I know. Do you know what I mean? And um, and condolences to you, you know, with your mum. That's mom, awful. That but yeah. Yeah. So it's 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 all I can do, really, um, to put it out there. Do you know what I mean? Every, you know, um, these politicians and policymakers that I thought is starting to creep into their family and affect their loved ones. And fortunately and unfortunately, this is an opportunity for them to, you know, make good on these empty promises. Do you know what I mean? Because, you know, you can't really run away from it. You can't deny that it, it, it exists like race or that sort of thing or like homophobia and that sort of thing. It's in your face. And if it latches onto you, do you know what I mean? So when it affects someone at home, when it hits home and it affects you directly, then and only then will these people start to, you know, I guess create some sort of policy that will benefit, you know, caregivers and persons living with it alike. And more and more research should be done on finding a cure, which I don't think, as I mentioned in the beginning, I don't really think there is one. I think there are drugs that can um, put it off, delay it, maybe it can, they can help, but I don't think there's anything that will stop it. And that's the scary part. Hopefully, in our lifetime, there will be a cure and uh, something, or even not a, a cure per se, but something that will put it in remission and it really won't come back. Uh, so, but nothing so far. Once you get it, it's progressive. As you know, it's there, it's in stages. It doesn't always happen at once. You can have some and you can just be forgetful. And then after that, it gets a little worse. And, and uh, you know, it's, but it does progress. I mean, I was secretly hoping yeah. that my mother was an alcoholic because she was acting so bizarrely that I was hoping I could say, oh, she drinks <laughs> and, and just say, oh, well, I'm going to put her in detox. She'll be fine. And it didn't quite work that way. And she was also a wanderer, which would make it even more difficult because she'd disappear for a couple of days. We couldn't find her. So, yeah. you know, it's all very, very, very difficult. But that is wonderful that you have... Uh, um, aligned with uh, such a wonderful organization such as the Alzheimer's Association and your recipes uh, can be found on uh, alz.org um, I believe um, and then you can and you can um, find them I'm going to post them on my website janewilkinsmichael.com and so we will all be able to Try the creativity, try our hand at the creativity that has made you famous and at least and, and know too that we're doing it for our health and well-being, which yeah. is all the more yeah. important. Now, Chef, are there any final tips, lifestyle tips that you can leave us with that we can start our regimen? As you said, we don't use diet, we use our lifestyle regimen that is a forever thing not just for today or tomorrow or losing 10 pounds and then getting it all back right absolutely right <laughs> in five minutes or some sort of diet right you know that doesn't last that sort of thing yeah no it doesn't last doesn't last so uh what are our forever tips that we can learn from you um i mean what do you use moment. yourself right i i i always say and I, I try to live my life in the moment the power lies in the present moment. You know, we're responsible for this moment right now. You know, we don't know what's going to happen in the next moment, right? We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I mean, we prepare ourselves. We have insurance. You know, we, we love our children. We love our partners, that sort of thing. But none of that is promised. 
after this moment. You know, people always ask, well, what can we do? Is it ever going to be? Oh, I hope I don't get it. You know, we're not responsible for that. But what we're responsible for is that, you know, our loved ones who are living with this disease, what can we do? We can love them. We can care for them in the, in the very best we can right now in this moment. You know, um, I always laugh that, you know, I said that it's a very expensive disease. I think half of that has to do with, you know, I mean, just trying to keep food in the house. Do you know what I mean? When you have loved ones who are living with Alzheimer's, a lot of times they forget they enjoy eating and they forget that they eat. Do you know what I mean? So there goes that food bill. It just goes through the, the roof. Yeah. So why not just cook and eat and laugh and play games and that sort of thing? Everybody's working in all this, right? But then in my house, it's like Saturday night for the most part is like board game. Do you know what I mean? You remember back in the day when we played board games? Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? When we, when we did things when life was simpler and life wasn't so, you know, ugly, you know, that sort of thing. And it's right, right here and right now, you know, what does it cost? Do you know what I mean? You know, uh, my mum who's suffering from um, a form of dementia, she loves to laugh. You know, um, she's obviously, from, she's born in 1930. So she, um, one of her favorite comedians uh, uh, back in the day was Mom's Mabley. So I'll call up and I'll tell her a Mom's Mabley joke. And she just laughs. And, oh, and so you know wonderful. what? And, you know, I mean, I, I can't tell it over the radio, but, you know, but that sort of thing, even if she's having a bad day, my sister would call me and my mum would hear my voice and she would just come right back. You know what I mean? That sort of thing, you know? So I don't know, maybe it's an energy thing. Maybe I'm some, some of a, a conduit. That who knows, but like I said, that's all we had. So live the best we can and love as much as we can in this moment. And be grateful for what we do have. Thank you so much, Chef, for being with us. We can find your recipes on alz.org. And where else can we find you? Well, um, I'll be out there. I'm actually putting together a show right now for proper TV and producing a show. So hopefully within the near future, you'll see that. Also, um, I'm writing a, a semi-autobiographical piece right now, and you'll catch me on the Food, Work and, uh, Food Network and beyond. But listen, thanks so much for, for oh, having me you. and allowing me to um, you know, share some very good, um, some good words and knowledge. Well, we were very grateful that you joined us today. Everyone stay with us. When we return, we will be speaking with Monica Marino. She is the Senior Director of Care and Support at the Alzheimer's Association. We'll be right back. As listeners of our iHeartRadio talk show know, Jane Wilkins-Michael is one of the foremost experts on all things health, beauty, and fitness. Jane has just released her highly anticipated new book, Long Live You, a step-by-step plan to look and feel better than before. In it, she shares a collection of advice, tips, and personal antidotes, along with lifestyle suggestions from some of the world's top beauty, health, and fitness experts, many of whom have been interviewed on this show. Are you hoping to make positive health decisions, improve your emotional well-being, establish a support system, give something back to your community and the world? Jane's new book will help you look years younger and also live a longer, healthier, happier, and more beautiful life. You can order Long Live You, your step-by-step plan to look and feel better than before at your local bookstore or at Amazon or BarnesandNoble.com where it's available for delivery or as an ebook, Or go to Jane's website, janewilkinsmichael.com. Now, back to the Jane Wilkins Michael Show. Want to know where you can hear Jane Wilkins Michael Show better than before? Well, that's easy. 
You can tune in to Jane via Clear Channel's iHeartRadio, Spreaker, Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, and at bmajor.org. Now, back to Jane Wilkins-Michael and Better Than Before. Welcome back, everyone. We are on the air live. You're listening to the Jane Wilkins-Michael Show, Better Than Before, on iHeartRadio Talk. I'm Jane. I'm here with Lori, as always. Now, I want to continue with our topic for Alzheimer Brain and Awareness Month and introduce you to a very special guest. She is Monica Marino. She is the Senior Director of Care and Support at the Alzheimer's Association. Uh, Monica is responsible for the oversight and administration of all national programs and strategies for early-stage patients and their families. She has co-authored a book, a chapter actually in a book, Evidence-Based Protocols for Managing Wandering Behavior, which was awarded the American Journal of Nursing Book of the Year Award. And she was a consultant to the screenwriters and directors of the film Still Alice. It was a heartbreaking, frightening, but inspiring movie about Alice, a renowned linguistics professor who was diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's disease. Welcome to the show, Monica. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. It is a pleasure. You know, as I mentioned earlier, my mother died of Alzheimer's, and and the statistics, as we talked about also in the first segment uh, on this uh, devastating disease, are pretty chilling. And it said that in 25 years, there'll be two kinds of people in the world, those with Alzheimer's disease and those caring for someone with Alzheimer's. And I speak often about the prevalence of heart disease and diabetes today, but Alzheimer's, if I'm correct, is the sixth leading cause of death in the US and the only such disease to actually be on the rise. And they say that in the next 15 years, Alzheimer's is expected to exceed cancer and heart disease sevenfold. And that's very scary. Is this true? Absolutely. So right now there are currently more than 5 million Americans who are living with Alzheimer's disease and they're being cared for by more than 15 million unpaid caregivers. Right now, Alzheimer's disease is the only disease in the top 10 that cannot be cured, prevented, or slowed. And so if we do not find an effective treatment for the underlying cause of this disease, those numbers are expected expected to triple by mid-century. But what are they telling us so far? Is, is there any uh, more research on what is perhaps causing it? If it's environmental, uh, I've heard that aluminum could, you know, theories come and then they go as quickly as they come, that aluminum was perhaps a cause of it, um, that uh, you get hit on the head and that can exacerbate it. And I often wondered with my mother, uh, maybe she had red hair dye every month. And, and those were, you know, they took the maraschino cherries off the market, but for a while they they had that red hair dye. Did that, you know, seep into her scalp? And I'm even wondering if the Botox that we're getting always in our head will ultimately cause issues. And please say no. Uh, what are you <laughs> on that one at least? <laughs> uh, what are your thoughts on all this? I mean, what is happening in, in the world of research that is coming up with, with some answers to all of us who are wondering? Yeah, so there's a lot of exciting things that are happening in the world of research around Alzheimer's disease. And one of the things that we're seeing within the research world is there's a shift that's happening and a focus on what's causing the disease. So looking at individuals and their brains before symptoms even start to appear. 
And the past research was really focused on finding a treatment for individuals who were already presenting symptoms and had already had some damage to their brain. And what we're starting to see now is that the focus has been, all right, let's start looking at individuals who are at risk for getting the disease and let's start monitoring before symptoms even appear What's happening to the brain? What are the changes that are happening? And then really target effective treatments before symptoms appear versus after the brain has already been impacted. Uh, there's a lot of, of clinical studies that are going on right now, a number that are in phase three, and we're really excited about what's happening in the world of research and some of the, of the promising treatments uh, that we're hoping we'll see in the next couple of years. Now, you said something that maybe frightens me in particular um, because my mother had it, but what are the risks? I mean, why would I go and get checked out just because my mother had it? Or are there other risks that you might say, well, maybe you should get it yourself checked? Or is it just genetic? Yeah, so certainly the number one risk factor for developing Alzheimer's disease is increased age. Uh, we also know that African Americans are about one and a half more times, I'm sorry, two times more likely to develop Alzheimer's disease than Caucasians. And uh, Hispanic Latinos are about one and a half more times to develop the disease than Caucasians as well. Uh, we also know that more women than men develop Alzheimer's disease. However, uh, we're not really sure why that is. And so there is some research that's really looking to determine what are some of the factors that may be causing that. Um, I think one of the most important things to note, though, is that so many people have a misperception that the symptoms of Alzheimer's disease are a normal part of aging, when in fact we know that it's not. And so while there still is no cure for Alzheimer's disease, we believe the Alzheimer's Association that there are benefits to getting an early detection and diagnosis for this disease. And some of the benefits to that is that it allows an individual who has developed this disease to be able to have conversations with their families on what is it that they want to have happen as far as their care as the disease progresses, to put plans in place, whether it's around legal or financial planning. It allows them to decide how do they want to live their life in the early stage of this disease, to participate in clinical studies if they want to be able to try to make something positive out of the diagnosis and help others. Um, so there are benefits to getting an early diagnosis and at the Alzheimer's Association, we're doing a lot of work to help educate the public that when they start to recognize symptoms either in themselves or in family members, that they go see a doctor and they go share their concerns and get testing. And one of the, the other reasons that that's so critically important as well is that not all um, symptoms of dementia are the result of Alzheimer's disease. There's other things that can mimic those symptoms. And so we always want to make sure that the doctor and that individual, that patient, gets the appropriate treatment. Now, what about genes? I mean, is it, are you more at risk or does that not play into it? If your mother has it, let's say, are you 10 times more at risk, 20 times more? I scare easily, so please keep the numbers low. Um, <laughs> how, how much more at risk are you if a family member has it? Certainly, if you have a family member who has the disease, your risk is higher, but it doesn't necessarily guarantee that you're going to get the disease. Um, so, you know, we don't have any fast, hard figures on that. There are a very small percentage of individuals who have Alzheimer's disease that have a gene 
uh, that is predisposed in that if they have children, they will 100% get Alzheimer's disease. But as I said, that percentage is very, very low. It's, it's one to less than 1% of the population. Yeah, when you talk testing, what is testing? What do you do for, I mean, what is the testing involved? Yeah, so uh, one of the, the common uh, tests that doctors may order, certainly they'll want to do a his, history and physical. They'll draw blood to make sure that there's not anything happening with the uh, thyroids. Um, any, uh, they'll also go ahead, if they believe that they need to, to order an MRI or a CAT scan to see if there's any changes to the brain. So it really is a process of elimination um, and then ultimately determining whether or not the person has Alzheimer's disease or not. There's also neuropsych testing uh, where the individual, the patient, will actually meet with a team who will then go through uh, questioning and, and seeing whether or not they have difficulty processing, remembering, and doing critical thinking as well. Yeah, I, I was talking about this in the first uh, uh, the first segment, but the other day, and I'm 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 sort of still very upset about this. I was looking for my my Metro card, and I looked in the zipper part of my purse, and in it was a dishwasher pod. I have not a clue of how it got there, and I'm thinking, how in the world did a dishwasher pod get in my in my bag? You know, it's not like something that you would say, oh, I'm going to take this with me today. <laughs> You know, I I just I came short of trying to pay the fare with the in the bus with the dishwasher pod. Although you know I'm thinking that would have been even more bizarre. But then I really would have gone for testing. But um, I remember someone a neurologist actually once telling me that we all lose our keys from time to time. He didn't mention that that we all put dishwasher pods in our purse from time to time. We didn't go there, so maybe he would have changed his <laughs> his uh, his opinion of me. But he said it's not that you forget where you put them, it's when they're in your hand and you forget what to do with them. Exactly. So exactly. given that, I I knew what to do with the dishwasher pot. <laughs> so I think maybe I'm okay for the moment. Right. And, you know, as I said, there's a lot of misperceptions of what's normal aging and what are some... Uh, some signs of Alzheimer's disease. And so the Alzheimer's Association developed our 10 signs, which they can actually learn more about at ALZ.org. But we do talk about memory loss, which is one of the earliest signs that disrupts, disrupts daily life, right? And I think that was an excellent example that the neurologist gave you is when you start to look at an object and you don't remember even what it is or how to use it. I've had the, the honor of actually working at the Alzheimer's Association and directly with individuals who have been diagnosed with this disease. And I have to say that one of the most common symptoms that I hear from them is that they had trouble doing a task that they had done their whole life. And I always give the example of some of our advisors. So these are individuals all living in the early stage of Alzheimer's disease who helped to raise awareness for the association around the disease and the association. Um, but there was one of our advisors who was a vice president at a bank, and she said one of the, the one instance that really made her be concerned was when she had trouble helping her grandchildren with very simple math problems. And that triggered her to say, you know, this isn't normal. I have to go see a doctor. We also, I know of another woman who was a, a renowned chef and she knew that there, this was not normal aging when she woke up one morning and forgot how to make a simple omelet. So it's those types of things that I hear very frequently from people living in the early stage of the disease is those were some of the, the warning signs for them that prompted them to go see their doctor. 
Well, this is scary for me because I can't do math, period, and I, I really make the worst omelets, so I think maybe I should get checked. <laughs> I, I have a feeling you're telling me something here. <laughs> they never get fluffy. So, But do you not get, as you get older, I mean, you know, just to give a little a, a positive note, uh, do you not lose, I mean, you do forget things. I you know people say that as they get older, it, it's not even dementia, it's just, you know, your brain isn't firing as quickly. Do you not uh, forget things? That's a great point. Yes, there's certainly changes that happen to the brain as a normal part of aging. Uh, it's just when memory loss starts to disrupt daily life is when you need to become concerned. So that's an excellent point. Yes, there's certainly some changes that happen to the brain as we age, and there is some things that we may forget just because we're getting older. But it's when, when that memory loss starts to disrupt daily life that we encourage people to go see their doctor. Oh, that's a good point. And I'm going to remember that, that is, it is normal to lose, to forget. It a few is. Things. So, thank yeah. you. Let, I'm, going to leave, I'm going to leave that point right there, and then we'll move on to another <laughs> another topic. Uh, let's talk about caregivers. Now, the Alzheimer's Association has just completed a, a new survey uh, that asks more than 1,500 adults to share their fears and concerns about getting older, getting sick, and or caring for family members struggling with dementia uh, or uh, Alzheimer's. And unless you have been one yourself, as you know, Monica, it is almost impossible to fathom how difficult this role can be. Um, and I, I know uh, cancer survivors, many caregivers have said, uh, you know, when they talk about how difficult it is for them as a caregiver, people say, well, you're not the one sick. What do you have to, you know, and, and you, you get sort of forgotten because they're the ones that are suffering. But for Alzheimer's, you are the one that's suffering because for the most part, they're oblivious as it progresses. What's very unique about Alzheimer's disease is that, is that it affects each person differently. So no two people will experience the disease in the same way. So we can talk about what are some of the symptoms, behaviors that may happen, but it doesn't necessarily mean that every person is going to experience the same thing. Um, we know that caregiving, um, a majority of caregivers report that their stress is high or very high, and about 40% uh, report that they suffer from depression. We also know through the survey that the Alzheimer's Association conducted that overwhelmingly, caregivers believe that it does take a village to care for someone living with Alzheimer's or another dementia. In fact, 91% of them said this. And yet, 39% of those that we surveyed are not engaging others in those caregiving tasks. Um, we also took a step further and we asked those who weren't helping in the caregiving role why they weren't participating. And about 74% of those respondents said that they felt like another family had already taken on that responsibility. And so that's why they didn't participate. And there was also a high percentage, 62%, who didn't participate in those caregiving tasks because they were considered long distance caregivers, right? So they weren't even living in the same area. Yeah. Um, so the Alzheimer's Association recognizes that it's not uncommon. We say it's a 36-hour day when you're caring for someone with Alzheimer's disease, not just 24 hours a day. And we also recognize that caregiving doesn't end. It's not a nine-to-five job, right? So the Alzheimer's Association has created a number of resources for caregivers. When we're talking about families who are dispersed all over the country, there are ways that these, these family members can actually participate and help the primary caregiver. 
For example, the Alzheimer's Association offers our care team calendar. We know that there are some tasks that a long-distance caregiver can help in. Maybe it's scheduling medical appointments so that the primary caregiver can focus on other things. So our care team calendar actually allows the primary caregiver to invite others to be able to participate in some of these caregiving roles, to be able to share what are some of the tasks that they need assistance with, and then allows these family and friends to sign up to take care of some of those tasks. So if I'm uh, a sister and my, my um, brother is caring for my mother in another state, I may feel comfortable in being able to schedule those medical appointments and I can go ahead and sign up for that in my calendar because that's something that I can do regardless of where I'm living in the, you know, throughout the country. Yeah. And so we, we provide a lot of resources, particularly our 24-7 helpline. Uh, we know that caregivers need sometimes to talk to someone to, to talk about some of the strategies and, and the things that are happening with the person living with the disease. And so we have master level clinicians who are available 24 hours a day, seven days a week to talk with caregivers and really help them come up with a strategy and a plan for some of the challenges that they may be dealing with. Yeah, and they also have to take care of their own health. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, because it's, it's one of the things yeah. we find that caregivers tend to uh, not take care of themselves. And we know, you know, that saying, put on your oxygen mask first before you, you try to take care of someone else. It's the mm-hmm. same thing in caregiving. A lot of caregivers don't keep up with their medical appointments. Uh, they don't take care of their health. They don't take time just for themselves. And so uh, there's a lot that friends and family can do to help support a caregiver, whether it's just reaching out and asking, what do you need help with? Or, you know, let me come and, and visit with the person living with the disease while well, you take some time to go get, get a manicure or go see a movie, uh, but just get some time to be able to take care of yourself. And, you know, there's also that decision of when to put the, the patient, the loved one in a home when you can't take care of them anymore. That's a very hard, hard decision to make. And sometimes it's better for the, for the, for the patient to be in a place that they are supervised. My mother was a wanderer and she was never safe. And I always wondered what, you know, where she was, you know, I can't, I couldn't be with her 24 hours a day. And, and when I wasn't, I was always, and I did have uh, AIDS, but it didn't make a difference because she would still, I'd get a call at 4am, you know, she went, she went out and then where'd she go? I don't know. She was going to the hairdresser. Like the hairdresser, <laughs> you know what? Right. what Four a.m. But it's not the same thing. And I, 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 you know, it was it was just a horror. It was ten years, and it was awful. And I finally said, you know, when she disappeared for three days, and I couldn't find her, and I said, this I can't, I can't do it anymore. Uh, it just wasn't, I wasn't able to. So I think there there is a time that it is very important for your own sanity, basically, and and peace of mind, is that you do find a place that she is safe, I think, right. but, you know, I don't know if that's recommended by, by you as well, but how, how is that? How do you feel about that? You know, the decision to place someone in a long-term care community is such a personal decision. And as I said, the disease affects everyone differently. Um, I do come from a long-term care background as well. And so I know that many times the families who had to make this difficult decision did so for two reasons. One, safety whether it was for the safety of the individual, such as your mom who was wandering, uh, and then uh, for other reasons, such as the care became so 
complicated or so difficult that for one person it wasn't possible to be able to provide that care. But what I used to tell families who had to make that difficult decision and place someone in a, in a nursing home was that they weren't giving up the responsibility of being a caregiver. What they were doing was really creating that village and expanding it and bringing these caregivers into the fold to be able to help them care for their family member. And I think that made a big difference in how they saw, saw that um, in having to make that decision. Right, because at some point it does become impossible. You know, I, I marveled at uh, Yasmin Aga Khan, her mother, Rita Hayworth, was at home. But the at home was she had a separate uh, apartment, almost like a separate facility for her next door, and she had 24-hour help. I think it, it makes a difference if you are able to have that support than if you're taking care of the patient all by yourself, which makes it very, 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 very difficult. And also the difficult part is watching them. Their brain just, I hate to say disintegrate. That's not the right word. I can't, I can't find a word. <laughs> That could be a problem, <laughs> but you know, you know it gets diminished slowly, gradually, and and I know it reaches a point where there's sort of you step over the line, and it's a point of no return. But um, yeah, I think many people don't don't uh, recognize that Alzheimer's disease is a brain disease, a progressive brain disease, mm-hmm. and you know it's it's the engine right of the car. It's it's like an engine of the car. It it runs everything. It allows us our bodies to do everything that it does, and so when Alzheimer's disease starts to affect the brain and um, it progresses, then the ability to function becomes impacted for those who who have been diagnosed with this disease. It was true. And I also found humor. I tried to find humor. Humor is what keeps me going. And even in the nursing home, because their activities were bingo, and I thought, how in the world do they remember bingo <laughs> the numbers <laughs> and they had fringo i remember and one of the one of the fruit and fruit was a like a guava and i think guava i don't even know what it looks like it was like i was sort of very very difficult that there was a guava in the fruit that they had to remember what it was but but you know you find you find I never forget asking the social worker how do they remember like b9 and she goes oh it's easy we say mrs mermelstein your tumor was b9 <laughs> so, like, <laughs> And I had just well, found humor in all that. So I have what... to say that in all of my discussions with individuals living with the disease and their caregivers, uh, keeping a sense of humor is absolutely one of the things that they bring up that you have to you have to maintain. Um, and so while this disease can be very difficult, um, can be very challenging, uh, the fact that they have made the effort to keep humor as, as part of their experience has really been helpful to them. So it's not surprising to hear you say the same thing. Now, Monica, before you go, uh, please share with us some of the lifestyle uh, tips and tools that we can do, caregivers, uh, as well as with our uh, loved ones to keep the brain stimulated what are some of the things that are important to add to our everyday regimen that will help our our thoughts and brains? That's a that's a great question. And while there's no way to prevent Alzheimer's disease, there's certainly things that people can do in order to enhance their brain health. Uh, one of the things is to eat right. I mean, I always tell people this isn't rocket science, right? We've been hearing this, uh, I think, for a lot of us for a lot of our lives, but it's really about making sure that you eat healthy, you eat low-fat 
uh, have a low-fat diet. It's about staying active. That doesn't mean that you have to go run three miles every single day, but by going out and gardening or going for a walk, you're keeping your body active. It's also about staying socially connected and making sure that you're spending time with friends and family and going out and doing social things. It's these types of things that can really help to promote brain health uh, if you want to try to help to reduce um, uh, the chance of, of, of getting dementia. But again, as I said, there's, there's, no, there's nothing that you can do to prevent this disease, but there's certainly things that you can do to enhance your, your overall health and more specifically your brain health. Uh, and well, so, I'm sorry, I was going to say, so the Alzheimer's Association uh, on our website, ALZ.org, has different ways that uh, an individual can actually live this healthier lifestyle and, and give some uh, information on or what are some of the benefits that research has found that can really help with brain health. I, I go on to your website and I do get tips and tools for myself and, and share them. So I think that's a very important uh, website to go to, everyone. I strongly suggest that you all go to alz.org and you also do everything you can, whether donations or whether it's helping someone you know, a caregiver you know, help with their loved one if they need some help, as you had suggested, and make them feel a little better than before. That's what we always suggest on the show. That's our aim, to make everyone live a longer, happier, healthier life. Thank you again for being with us, Monica. It was a very, very enlightening half hour. I appreciate your being on the show. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure. That's our show, everyone. Thank you, Chef Cowan. Thank you, Monica. And as always, thank you all for listening. This is Jane Wilkins-Michael. I will see you next week. Until then, be wise, be well, be better than before. Have a question for Jane? Drop us a line via instant feedback at bmajor.org. The Jane Wilkins Michael Show is brought to you by Express Scripts and is produced by Major Radio for Clear Channel's iHeartRadio and bmajor.org.